If you don't know me again, my name is Stephen. I'm really glad you're here. And uh, we're today in a setup to our next series. Uh, we just wrapped up a series on happy. And uh, today we're going to just take a moment and almost kind of like a public family meeting. And so if you're here for the first time, it's a great week you picked. Seriously, that's not like a joke. It's a great week because you get to see what we're about here and where we're headed. Next week, we're going to kick off a seven-week series. And today, I want to convince you of the importance of this series. And I want to convince you to the cause in which we're going to be um, going after. We have a vision here. And uh, in modern church right now, you often get asked, what's your vision? What's your vision? What's your vision? And so we just came up with a statement that helps us answer that question, to be the church that Jesus came to plant. We don't need to create our own vision. We don't need to come up with our own rules and our own systems and our own stuff. Jesus already did it for us. And so our goal here is to be the church that Jesus came to plant. Now, if you're anything like me, you've looked out at the world over the last few weeks months, and you've taken a step back at some point and gone, what is happening? I don't just mean the obvious stuff, not just the political stuff or the COVID stuff or the economy stuff or the racial stuff or everything else that's happening in our world. I mean, certainly that, but I also mean something else. Maybe you've looked back like me and you've even looked into the church. And I say the church as in like the cosmic big church and thought to yourself, what is happening. What's happening? See, we know something. We know that culture is shifting. See, when truth is relative, culture will always shift. What is true now might not be true in 10 years. What was true 20 years ago or what was accepted or embraced as normal isn't accepted or embraced as normal now. Culture, when truth is relative, will always shift. And we've seen it. It's obvious. We can watch it. And we see culture shifting. And so the question then becomes for the Christian, well, what do I do in the midst of a shifting culture? Bigger, the church must ask, what do we do in the midst of a shifting culture? And so maybe you've been watching, watching the church. How is it going to respond? What does the church do in the midst of a shifting culture? Well, Here's the good news. We don't have to come up with the answer to that on our own because it was written into the scriptures. And what this series is about is examining Jesus's final words to his church. And those words are found in Revelation in seven letters written to the seven churches in Asia. And these letters were written in the midst of tumultuous times. Similar and worse, especially for Christians, than ours right now, particularly in this country. I mean, they were written into some of the craziest times for the believers. And in the midst of that, what we want to do is we want to study these seven letters and see what was it that Jesus wanted to communicate to his church in the midst of the craziness. And so that's what we're going to do over the next seven weeks. Today, we're going to see the setup. I'll give you the short answer. The church, the eternal church, can not shift with culture. Culture can shift all, it's, all it wants, and it will continue to do so, but the church has an eternal calling and cannot shift with it. That's what I want to 
convince you of this morning. By the way, the, the number seven, when it talks about the seven churches, and you, you see the number seven in Revelation often, and whenever you see the number seven, it's alluding to a perfection or a completion. And what we can surmise from that is the seven letters written to the seven churches was supposed to give us a full picture of what a complete church looks like. And so we want to learn the lesson from each church so that we can be the church that Jesus came to plant. Now, in this opening letter, or this opening intro to this idea, uh, John brilliantly kind of works through his intro, setting up what it is that he wants us to see in the letters. But we have to grasp on to this first. He says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. And so, yeah, the seven there, the seven churches, complete or full picture of the church. He then starts with grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. John's giving his intro into this and what he's going to do first is allude to the Trinitarian nature of God. He's going to start with the Father, then go to the Spirit, and then go to the Son. And one of the things I'm going to do this morning is kind of sprinkle in some of our core doctrine uh, and some of our key values, uh, and so that you might get a grasp of who we are and where we're headed. And he starts here with one of ours, and that is that, excuse me, that God is eternal, and that he is one, though he exists in three persons, Father, Spirit, Son. We don't debate about the Trinitarian nature of God here. We believe it to its fullest, that God exists as one God, eternal, in three persons. And he speaks first to the Father. And what he does is he's speaking to the eternal nature of the Father. He is, he was, and he is to come. And we know God to be immutable, unchanging. And God is eternal and unchanging, the Father is, in many ways that are important for us to be reminded of. He's unchanging in his character or his nature. He's unchanging in his nature and the fact that he is loving, holy, and just. And he always has been loving, holy, and just. And one of the attacks on God has been, well, the God of the Old Testament wasn't loving. Yes, he was. God is, was, and always has been loving, holy, and just. And it is all three of those terms. Now, there's a lot of ways to describe God, but it's all three of those terms that are very, very important. He is loving. He is holy and perfect, and he is just. Secondly, God is unchanging in his actions towards us or his control over this world, his attributes. He's powerful, he's sovereign, and he's good. God is unchanging in his righteousness. What is good and what is wrong or what is bad and evil or what is right and righteous has been determined at the beginning of time. We don't get to create it now. God's righteousness and the standard of perfection was set once and for all. It was written into God's way of life. It's good for us because we don't have to ask in uh, 2020, well, what's right and what's wrong? What's evil and what's... No, God already told us. His righteousness is unchanging. God is also immutable in this. His grace and his wrath. 
His grace is unchanging. From the beginning of time, by faith, we have been saved. And by God's incredible love, which we'll get to more in a moment, God has loved us while we were still his enemies. He's an eternal God. He's an eternal God of grace. He extends that grace to anybody at any time. It's amazing. And he's also eternal or unchanging in his wrath that those who persist in unbelief are destined to hell and separation from God for all of eternity. This is God, the eternal God. A culture will always want to change God. Culture will always want to change God or they'll want to create a new God. They'll want to change our God and say he wasn't loving him uh, back then. They'll want to change our God and say um, um, hell doesn't exist because a loving God could never do that. They'll want to change our God and his nature. And they'll say, well, if God really loved me, then he would let me fill in the blank. And, and culture will always want to shift God. But God is eternal and who he is doesn't change. And God exists not just as the Father, but then he exists also in the Spirit. So we see that in the next line, the sevenfold Spirit of God. And so we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is our comforter and he's our guide and he reminds us of truth. And it's a good thing that the Holy Spirit reminds us of truth because it is only by truth that we can be set free. And so when culture tries to shift God or change truth, the only thing that culture is doing to those to whom it is shifting truth is making sure that they remain captive forever. Because it is only the truth that will set you free. And so a relative truth will give a relative freedom, but an absolute consistent truth will give an absolute and consistent permanent freedom. See, it is out of love that we must remind ourselves of the eternal nature of God. The shift, by the way, is what created the world that we live in anyway, right now. So there's an eternal God. He exists in Father. He exists in Spirit. And then he exists in Son. So then we get into a brief doctrine here of Jesus. And this is how John is setting it up because he's gonna write these letters to his churches and he's gonna tell them how it is that they need to act in the midst of these tumultuous times. But he needs to root them first in something eternal. Maybe because um, God knew that he needed to write these letters because there would be a temptation for the church to um, follow the shift and to give in and to shift with culture. So God then uh, inspires John to write about Jesus, the third part of the Trinity. And so here's what we believe about Jesus. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus willingly went to the cross and died as the only payment for sin. The blood had to be shed in order for us to receive salvation. And then he rose victoriously out of the grave. And he's coming again soon. That's what we believe about Jesus. And John, all over his letters, um, constantly goes back to defending the doctrine of Jesus because he knew if you change Jesus, then you change this gospel. And if you change this gospel, then it has no power to set people free. So we don't negotiate about Jesus. And so when people want to say, well, Jesus was just a really good teacher or a really good man, wrong. You can believe it, but you're wrong. Jesus was just one path to heaven. Wrong. 
Well, the blood didn't actually have to be shed. Jesus was just a cosmic example of love. Wrong. We don't negotiate about Jesus. Okay? There's an eternal God. Who he is has already been defined. So I don't need anyone, not some modern theologian who thinks they figured something out, telling me who God is. I can see who he is, who he was, and who he always will be right here. And it is only by understanding the eternal, unchanging nature of God that we can then begin to move through the rest of this text. John then adds to Jesus, he says he is the faithful witness. And Jesus was the faithful witness. Faithful to the point of death. Teaches us how faithful we are to be. How faithful to the point of death. Kill me, I don't care. Jesus is the faithful witness. And nothing, remember when Peter tried to get Jesus to shift? Peter goes, oh, Jesus, you are the son of God. We like that. And then Jesus says, I'm going to die. And Peter says, we don't like that. He says, let's not talk about that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Maybe that was an instruction to the modern church. You want to shift with culture? Get behind me, Satan. He's also the firstborn of the dead, or the firstborn of the Son of God. What does it mean? It means he was the first one to rise. And in that way, he was an example to us that you too will rise. That in Christ now, we, can, we will rise out of our sin. Uh, we can rise out of the captivity that we were in. And one day, we'll rise again and be in eternity with him. You will rise. The resurrection is real. And so he's the firstborn of the Son of God. He was the first one to rise. You're going to rise. He's the faithful witness. We ought to be faithful witnesses. And then thirdly, I like this one. It says he is the ruler of the kings of earth. He is the ruler of the kings of earth. And get this. I know this isn't you, but there's some people like this. And, you know, you can point at them or laugh or giggle or something like this. Because I know this isn't you. He is the ruler of the kings of earth. And get this. Some people freak out about presidential elections. They lose sleep over it. They get worried about it. He is the ruler of the kings of earth. Sometimes we think morality is going to rise or fall on a Supreme Court nominee. He is the ruler of the kings of earth. You know what that means for us Christians? It means we can step back from the madness and the emotion and the fray and just trust that he really is the ruler of the kings of earth. And that's really freeing. Now, the step back doesn't mean that we ought not to engage. Should Christians vote? Yes. Should Christians vote their faith? Of course, we do everything out of our faith, right? Everything comes out of my faith. Should Christians pray? Yes, we are specifically instructed to pray for those kings that Jesus is in charge of. Should we pray for outcomes? Certainly, 
certainly we should pray. Certainly we should vote. Certainly we should engage. But certainly we should step back and just remind ourselves he is the ruler of the kings of earth. No matter who wins, Jesus is still in charge. Now, Jesus, as this ruler of the king of earth, he, he brought something and he rules over something. And I want to show you what those are because this is the next progression here. There's an eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is unchanging. And that eternal God is most about something. Now, don't you want to know what the eternal God was most about? And don't you want to be about that too? Because here's what the eternal God wasn't most about. He wasn't most about getting caught up in the shift. And what you're going to see in the midst of the tumultuous times and the letters written to the seven churches, what he doesn't talk to them about is getting caught up in the shift. What he talks to them about is staying constant in that which is eternal. The eternal God is most about this. It's written in the next line to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. You know what the eternal God is most about? His eternal gospel. That's what he's most about. And so when the world is freaking out and the world is getting caught up in this and the world is getting caught up in that and everyone's posting this and everyone's posting that, God's got one focus that he's had for 2,000 years because he is all of those things. And when we're freaking out and think the whole world hinges on one thing, God's looking out and going, stop being so self-centered. I've been over this for 2,000 years. I don't need your freak out. And what he's been most about and what he wanted his church to be most about was his eternal gospel. God loves you when you were his enemy and he set you free by his death and resurrection. That's the message. That's the message that God is most about and therefore it should be the message that we're most about. Now, does that message compel me in the way that I live and engage? Absolutely, and it always should in every area and facet. But the eternal God is most about his eternal gospel. So let me tell you what our church will be most about, his eternal gospel. The message that we will proclaim, the message that we will speak, the hill that we will die on will be the gospel. Because in two thousand years or another thousand years or however long this earth lasts, what is going to matter most is, did we proclaim the gospel? The gospel. Did people come to salvation? That's what's going to matter most. And so this eternal God is most about his eternal gospel. It's the, and by the way, the world, um, they're always going to try to shift the eternal God and they're going to try to create a new God. And, you know, right now our God is science or um, our God is, which is just ironic that, that we try to make science our God when God created everything. Like, it's just kind of funny. But then, uh, or our God is like coexisting, right? And so all these like fake false gods come up. And, and listen, culture is always going to have a new God. Always going to have a new God. And that's okay because we always have the same God. And culture's always gonna have a new gospel. 
Culture's always going to have a new gospel. They're always going to have something that they say, this is what's going to solve humanity's problem. And every 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 50 years or 100 years, right, we're going to come up and say, hey, man, this is, this is the new solution to the problem. This is the new solution to the problem. This is the new solution to the problem. And culture's always going to shift on what its answer to the problem is. And all of those answers have just led us to where we're at. with still more problems. Because the shifting solution of culture isn't the actual solution. There is only one solution, and it is the eternal gospel. Only solution that will solve humanity's problems. So culture can shift its gospel, and culture can shift its God. But we have an eternal God and an eternal gospel. And that eternal God and that eternal gospel exist in something eternal. His church He says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Now, I can't give into an entire doctrine of the kingdom today, but I can tell you that the way that the kingdom is supposed to expand in our world is through his church. This is an eternal kingdom through an eternal church. And so what we have here is an eternal God who uh, is about his eternal gospel through his eternal church. That's what God is most about. And his eternal church cannot shift with culture. His eternal church is the beacon. His eternal church is the the place of refuge. His eternal church is the thing that is supposed to remain stable no matter how much culture shifts. Because it is only the stability and the steadiness of the eternal church preaching its eternal gospel that can actually bring hope to a shifting world. I won't say now more important than ever because I haven't been around forever. So I don't know what happened before completely. But I can tell you that is as important as ever. The church remain the church that it stand for what it's supposed to stand for and that it do, that it does the eternal job that it has been called to. So an eternal God has an eternal gospel through an eternal church. And guess what? In that eternal church, he put some people in charge of it under his authority. Priests, to his God and Father. You know who he's talking about there? You and me. The way we used to say it around here is this. A church is not just by paid professionals, but by the priesthood of all believers. That you have a role to do in the church, that the, your passion uh, for uh, making sure the church remains what it is supposed to be uh, should be as strong as mine. That your commitment to seeing the church remain the force of God in this world um, should be as deep as mine. The idea, by the way, of people getting paid like full time to do this is just like some modern luxury, okay? And who knows if it'll exist in 100 years? Who knows? But what will always exist is the priesthood of all believers, of every person who bows the name of Christ, now being called and compelled to worship an eternal God, proclaim an eternal gospel, and be about his eternal church. That's the priesthood of all believers. And you and I, we then have a job to do in the midst of all of this shifting. 
In the midst of all of this shifting, the church then has, has, has a role to do. And we don't, again, have to create the role. We just have to look back and say, well, what has worked for 2,000 years? What has the church been about for 2,000 years? What has it done? I'll tell you what we don't need to do. We don't need to change our message. We don't need to throw parts of this out. We don't need to compromise to the shift. Here's what we do need to do. Here's what we do need to be about. We need to preach the scriptures as relevant today as the day that they were written. And so if you don't like the Bible or if you don't like me preaching out of it and telling you what it says, you're not gonna like it here. I just wanna help you. Boom. I'll tell you what we do need to do. We need to hold on to biblical values, not let the shift determine what is right and wrong. We need to stand for truth, not hide behind vague language. Not standing for truth will leave those who think that truth is relative, enslaved to the sin that has taken over them. And there is nothing loving about letting somebody die in sin. We need to teach these values to our children and not let the world shift all over them. We need to challenge the saints to full maturity, to keep on growing, because this church and the church will never be what it's supposed to be until you have arrived at the full maturity that God is calling you to. To follow another biblical metaphor, uh, we can't just keep passing out baby bottles when you need some real food. The eternal church by the priesthood of all believers, is to advance this eternal gospel. And if we won't, then who will? And it all has to be done through the eternal gospel of grace and freedom. No, no. There's a temptation. There's a temptation. There's a temptation to let the shift win. Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's cooler. Sometimes it's more woke. There's a temptation to be culturally relevant. Temptation to believe the present lie about what the world is saying is the answer. There's a temptation to give in to social pressure. There's a temptation to think we are now enlightened. We're smarter than all of those people before us. Every generation has thought that and subsequently proven it wrong. There is a temptation. I get it. So let's chat about them. Cultural relevance is what got us into this mess in the first place. And to say then, well, the church has to remain culturally relevant 
I mean, that's why we're here. That's why the world is here. We don't need cultural relevance. We have an eternal gospel. It's always relevant to the human heart. Now, if culturally relevant means you play a guitar instead of a leer or a liar, okay. But if culturally relevant means change the gospel to make somebody feel better, no. There's a temptation to give into the present lie, right? And every culture has its lie. Every culture has its, like, its lie that is saying, okay, no, 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 we need to believe this or you, we all need to be like this. And if we were all just like this, then everything would work its way out. And since there's nothing new under the sun, the lie just keeps repeating every 20 years or 50 years or 100 years or 200 years, right? Like we learn nothing from history, right? And, and so then we just say, okay, no, 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 no. Now, now we just believe this lie and it'll fix everything. And there's been lie after lie after lie and culture for years and years has said, if we just all did this, then everything would be okay. And you know why it doesn't happen? Because there's sin. You see the signs that are like, end racism. Let me tell you when racism will end, when Jesus comes back. Racism isn't a, just a problem in modern American society. It has been a problem in every culture, in every society ever. Why? Because people are sinful. People are sinful. So the modern lie, right, the modern deception is that through the systems of this world, we can just, we can fix all of these problems. And so we do use terms like, you got to be woke. Now, let's chat about that. Half of what being woke means was just stolen from the gospel. Do you see that? Like if, if, if woke means I, um, that I need to hate racism, stand for justice and serve the poor, then I will be as woke as a 19-year-old in Birkenstocks in college debt. Okay? If woke means I need to get into the shift and give into the shift, then I want to be as unwoke as your grandma. See, the modern lie is that we can create some kind of system that's going to solve these issues. There is one system to solve the issues, the eternal church and the eternal gospel, which is why that has to be what we're most about. And by the way, Christian, if you don't hate racism, if you don't serve the poor, if you don't care and stand and your heart bleed for justice, then you're probably not even a Christian. Okay? Of course we should care about these things. But church, don't surrender them to a political ideology. Stand for the eternal church with an eternal gospel. Jesus solved this stuff 2,000 years ago for us. And he ran it all over his book. Like Paul's getting done after his big doctrinal moment with the church. And they're like, keep going, Paul. And he steps out and then he tells Peter, you're being a racist. And then on his way out, they go, oh, and hey, remember the poor. And he's like, was already planning on it, thanks. 
Like friends, if you've been awakened by the gospel, you don't need to be woke by 2020 society. Okay. There's temptation to give in to social pressure. I kind of already told you what happens when you do that. You give in to social pressure, you limit the truth, and then the truth isn't there, then the truth can't set anybody free. So we don't need to give in to social pressure because like Paul said, I don't need to please anyone but God. That's it. I don't even need to please y'all. I just got to please God. Okay, this one's fun. We think we've been enlightened. Like we somehow know more than every culture or every time period before us. Every generation thinks this. Oh, we're enlightened. We're smarter than we were back then. Culture shifts, okay? And when culture shifts, here's what it does. It takes some things that used to be problems and addresses them and then says, look how much we're enlightened. And then when it does that, it creates a mess in every other area. So nothing actually gets better. We just shift the problems. And so we say in a modern American society, we're so enlightened. We're more depressed. There's more suicide. There's more divorce. There's more fill in the blank than ever before. That's enlightened. Say, oh, we're so enlightened over here. And as we say it over here, no country that slaughters 600,000 innocent babies in the womb ever gets to say they're enlightened. Okay? Like we've wiped out generations of people. Innocence. And we say, we're enlightened. No, humanity is as depraved today as it has ever been. And there is one solution, an eternal gospel through an unshifting eternal church. That's it. I don't know about you, but I actually want to see that kingdom that Jesus talked about come to be. And it won't happen by shifting. It will only happen by holding the line of the gospel. And so if we actually want to see the change happen that we talk about or we dream about or we idealize about it, then we better not shift an inch. There's a verse in Joshua. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So let me just say this. As for me and this church, we won't shift. We're just going to do the job that we've been called to. We're just going to do the job that we've been called to. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to hold on to biblical values. We're going to stand for truth. We're going to teach it to our children so they can carry it on after us. And we're going to grow each and every one of you to full maturity as much as you're willing to do so, so that you can be the church that Jesus came to plant. And just in case, just in case you're like, yeah, but where is that going to lead? What's the future going to hold? Oh, John answered the question for us. He just went ahead and told us what was going to happen anyway. He said, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. He already said what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. And the reason that all the nations and the tribes of the earth, the reason that they're wailing is because they gave into the shift and they forgot the gospel. 
That's why they're wailing. No one on that day will be wailing who already bent knee before Jesus. But all of those who gave into the shift will wail and cry. And if you and I don't want to see that happen, then the eternal church has to keep proclaiming the eternal gospel. And in case you need some encouragement to do that, John ends it like this. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, not him, the Lord, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In other words, he's saying, I've already seen how all of this plays out. I've already written down all of the rules. I've already given you the manual. I've given you the instructions. I've set up the structure. I gave you Jesus as the head of the church. I gave you the spirit as the power in order to do it. I gave you the gospel and the message to which you should proclaim. And I'm over all of it. And I'm in charge of all of it. So don't get distracted by everything over here. You're protected. I'm guarding you. Just do your job. Just do your job. So next week, we're going to do our job. I need a drink. I'm sorry. Next week, we're going to kick off a new series. It's called Timeless. Eternal church is greater than shifting culture. So I want to talk about a couple groups of people. First, I believe there's a group of people, Christians, church people, who are sitting on the sidelines right now because they're looking out at the world or the church and they're going, what in the world is going on? And Christians sitting on the sidelines is never a good thing. And so if you know somebody like that, I want you to invite them back into the game. Secondly, there's a world out there that does not know Jesus. And they think, sadly, that the shift is going to bring them what they're looking for. And it's not. It's not. It's not. And so, if you have people like that in your life, I would encourage you to bring them in. In the midst of all of the craziness, we can show them the eternal thing that will actually solve what it is that they've been looking for. We want you to do this, and we, we, we're trying to make it as easy for you as possible. And so we created a video, um, and the whole idea of it is that you can just send out the link, and the video will show up, and then there will be description underneath. Um, there's also, like, graphics on there that you can pull out and throw on your Instagram story. I don't even have an Instagram, but they told me it's a thing. And or post it to your Facebook or text it out to somebody. Um, and we just wanted to make it super easy for you to invite that group of people. And then together... We're just going to keep figuring out what it is to be the church that Jesus came to plant. We're just going to keep preaching the eternal gospel. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.